Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, Jesus says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. He says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Panta ethne is that word. Nations. It means people groups. And we as a church have been privileged over the years to do just that, to help those in the nation of Ukraine and the people groups represented within that nation to become disciples. And in large part to our participation, that ministry has grown to 14 thriving churches, a staff, I would guess, around 70 ministers and staffers. They have been to the war front for months, years really, ministering to those in trouble. And now they find themselves in the crosshairs of a great deal of war and violence. Galatians 6 and 2 says, carry one another's burdens and in so doing fulfill the law of Christ. We, we are not in the crosshairs, but yet our brothers and sisters are. So to some extent, we carry that burden and we do it by way of prayer. So I'm not asking for an obligatory prayer in a service. I'm asking you to ask the Lord for a burden for our friends, for the nation, for the government, that he would stay the hand of violence, that he would spare them and let the church thrive in accordance with the will of the purpose and the spirit of God. So let's go to him in prayer this morning. In earnest, shall we? In earnest for our friends, our, our ministry partners. Father, we lift up uh, Nick and Maya and the totality of our brothers and sisters proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ among atheists and agnostics, wayward, snatching souls from the fire, building your church. So we, we call in your promise of Matthew 16. Upon that rock build your church, and may the gates of hell not prevail against her. Let her stand. Let the witness of Jesus Christ through what happens in the weeks and months ahead be so obvious to those who are without you that cannot deny your compassion, your care, your protection, your sovereignty, your love, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. Let the church so shine as a light before men that it is undeniable Jesus Christ is Lord of the land and their landlord. I pray, Father, for protection like a wall of fire round about that nation and that you would subdue the hand of evil and violence, insanity for that matter. Protect your fruit, protect your vineyard, and may that vineyard shine for your glory both now and for generations to come. This we petition you for in accordance with your word that you hear and ask where two or three are gathered. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Okay, I have a uh, very, uh, what I would call seemingly impossible, I would even say nearly impossible task to do something, but I'm going to give it a shot. I have been asked by an employee who is leaving uh, our employ after 16 years of faithful service, not to mention her name and make a big deal out of her. 
So I have two announcements. The first is that we will have, and we do have now, effective immediately, a new employee in the office. She is going to be a coordinating effort and a, and a wonderful administrative gift to our church. And when you call on the phone, you'll hear her answer the phone. She'll be the face in the office. She'll be the source of hospitality. She'll help coordinate every ministry, and she'll do so to the best of her ability. So I want, there's a name I want you to get accustomed to, and that's Kim Johnson. Kim is in the back. Raise your hand, Kim. In fact, come up here, Kim. Come up here. Kim will be um, a very visible person, and she's already crying. So, <laughs> as, as did her predecessor, I might add. So anyway, and everyone online can see Kim when you call, and she's a godsend and a gift to us. So thank you, Kim. Let's welcome Kim. Okay, now on the person that has left, um, I have found to be, uh, after 16 years of faithfulness, and I'm not going to mention her name, she has become to me a friend and um, a pleasure to work with and serve the Lord with. I heard her say something to someone nearly 12 years ago, and I never forgot it. Someone was asking her to do something, and she said, if it's okay, I'd just appreciate you say please and, and thank you. So for 12 years, I don't think I've ever, ever missed saying please and thank you. That stuck with me. Um, I don't know, for those of you who have been in ministry, um, it, is the, it is the helper that makes all the difference. And uh, we have a lot to be grateful for and, um, and the helper that we've had. Uh, she exemplifies to me um, compassion and mercy. She has that gift. Uh, she will let you know where she stands, and she can't be upset with me because I have yet to say her name. But I want you, if the Lord reveals to you who it is, <laughs> to hug her neck and to love on her and to thank her uh, for her faithfulness. At the end of the day, the whole world is wondering and counting and keeping score on who did what and how much and who won and who lost. But my friend, listen, at the end of the day, it's not about all of that. The real question is, were you faithful? Were you faithful to your family? Were you faithful to your church? Were you faithful to your community? Were you faithful to your neighbors? Were you faithful to him? There it is. And she epitomizes faithfulness to me. And uh, she is the best help in ministry I've ever had and my guess is, we'll ever have. So no pressure, Kim. Oh. You, you do you, okay? You do you. Um, but we have a lot to be grateful for as a congregation, and, and I encourage you to express that as is appropriate. The second announcement is this, because I don't want to talk about that anymore. Uh, if you call the church, uh, likely Melanie won't answer the phone, but Kim will going forward. Okay, ushers, if you come forward, we're going to worship the Lord and the giving of our tithes and our offerings. 
We're going to have a, a little meeting here after the service. You're going to see what the giving has been historically, 19, 20, 21. Then we'll see what happens in 22. But uh, how many times can I say your maturity, your devotion, your allegiance to the Lord, to the Word is exemplary? And I think you've found out by now that you can't outgive God, and God's a pretty good giver. So, well done, good and faithful servants. Let's pray. We can claim in earnest to partner with those around the world in many ways, with consultation, with love, with prayer, and yes, with money. And we can say that because you have blessed us with obedience, blessed us with freedom, financial freedom, blessed us with the absence of debt, blessed us with a heart for ministry both here and around the world. Would you continue to do so? For where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And everyone said, amen. God bless you this morning as you give. crowns at the feet of Jesus, the greatness of mercy and love at the feet of Jesus, and we cry, holy, 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 we cry, holy, 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 and we cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet. Of Jesus, the greatness of mercy and love at the feet of Jesus, and we cry, Holy, 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 and we cry, Holy, 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 and we cry, Holy. We cry worthy. Just sing that with me. And we cry worthy, worthy, worthy. And we cry worthy, worthy, worthy. And we cry worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Why don't we just skip the sermon? Just <laughs> That was beautiful. Thank you. Okay, we're in the book of, here you go, Judges. Hello. Chapter 16, verse 4 and 5. You know, I, if you haven't noticed, we've been emphasizing this last few weeks, and today's no exception. I've been thinking a lot about this, and the Lord's been really speaking to me about this as I look back over my own 
uh, faith walk. And it's interesting that if you look back on yours, you'll find, if you have one, you'll find that key people tend to come into your life at key times. You know, sometimes it's a, uh, for me it was a, it was a guy named Bill Foster. He sat down in his kitchen with an NIV study Bible with me for hours and hours at a time when I didn't know anything about the Bible. He was so key to me. He was a relationship that changed my life. There was uh, my, my pastor that led me to Christ. Was, he was a giant of a man in, in a spiritual sense. Uh, and, and I probably looked up to him more than I actually should, frankly. But he was an incredible uh, man of God and, and, and a counselor to be, and to Mike for that matter. And, and it's just that, and then, then another pastor came and he taught me about ministry. And then I had friends in the Lord and I had small groups. Then I led a Bible study. And these relationships uh, sort of formed and they solidified. And more importantly, they had a purpose to them. And, and the purpose was to minister to me as I ministered to them where I was and where they were. Said another way, we, we, are, we are meant to grow in the context of relationships, friendships, I'd say. And we, and we have to be open to that because if we're not, we'll not grow. Said another way, are there friends, are there brother and sister relationships in Christ that you are in need of to move you from where you are to where God would have you to go? And if there's not, and they remain void, those spaces in your life remain void, you may find your growth stunted. And we're going to be talking about this today in a bad way. There's bad relationships out there, so let's identify those, and then next week we're going to take a look at really good relationships and what they do for us. As I said last week, those who come to Christ and they want to know more about this Christianity and and they want to be discipled, they, they want to grow, they want to change, they want to transform, they want Christ to come and live in them. All of that is wonderful, but it always happens in the context of another person investing in us, being there for us, teaching us. This is where you get pastors and teachers. That's where you get evangelists and apostles and prophets. It is the contribution that is not a homogenous thing, but people come at us from different angles, with different approaches, with different levels of experience, and different insight that make us who we are. And Jesus knew that. He did not walk around with one dude following him. He knew that if he got 12 together, that iron would sharpen iron. But he also knew that aluminum doesn't sharpen iron. He needed those people to be in a relationship with him, and through that relationship, they could minister to one another, even in his physical absence. So said another way, do you need some sort of relationship in your life that may be different than one you've ever had before that takes you to where God would have you to go? because he does that in the context of relationships. Some of you may be right starting out on your walk. You need someone to help you really navigate the first part of your journey. Others of you have been around for a long, long time. I actually worry more about you 
Worry's not the right word. I'm actually aware more about your need than the younger person. The younger person actually knows. But the older person who's learned, who's experienced, who's been tested in many different areas, you, my friend, still need that iron. And that iron that sharpens you still needs you to sharpen them. This doesn't stop. You see, the only thing you take to heaven, let's put it this way, the only thing you don't do in heaven is evangelize. And the only thing you take to heaven are relationships. The only thing you take to hell are relationships. So, relationships. We're going to take a look at a real bad one. Judges 21 to 25, one of the most depressing verses in all the world ever written. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. What a bummer. That's anarchy right there. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. I want to talk to you about a real sweetheart of a gal, Delilah. Judges 16, 4 and 5. Sometime later, he, meaning Samson, fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went, Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how he can, we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. That's 28 pounds of silver. I don't know how many Philistine leaders there were, but the 28 pounds, it's got to add up, right? It's got to be substantial. Okay, Delilah, you have a man now who, who fell in love with you, and here's what I want you to do. I want you, for pay, to deceive and discredit him and ruin this man for everything he stands for. Will you just find out the secret so we can pay you the money? Nice gal. She goes through a process of asking him three, two or three times, like, how do you really lose your power? How would that be? And then the first time he tells her, and it doesn't work. Second time, it doesn't work. Finally, it works. She literally ruined the man temporarily. Here's the first thing I want to bring up to you about bad relationships. Whenever the primary unhealthy motivation for the relationship is money, you're in trouble. Now, I'll get to this in a minute, but there's been one consistency throughout my pastoral, 25 years of pastoral ministry, and you can pretty much put it on the calendar. About once every two months, you're going to sit down with somebody who's really in a bad situation, who's going to bear their soul to you because they got in business with another Christian partner and the thing went south. Can I get an amen? Maybe it's every month. I don't know. Yes. We'll get to that in a minute. But when money is part of the relationship, as it was with Delilah, we got problems before we ever get started, okay? When money, see, finance and romance are really the two things that really ruin a marriage, or the absence of either one. When finance gets to be an issue in a marriage, there's trouble. The love of money is the root of all evil. Money will really corrupt our way of perceiving the relationship, our motivation in the relationship, and we really have to be careful with that, okay? Delilah is getting paid. Let's, let's face it, it's not good to start with. 
Samson was a, a judge or sort of like a governor, a leader for 20 years, and he teaches us in this context of this love, quote, love relationship, how to lose, how to waste, how to compromise his power, his purpose, his position, and his calling. So you came to the right place. If you're looking to destroy your life today, rid yourself of any kind of self-respect, you've come to the right place. I'm going to show you how to do that right here in a relationship with someone you shouldn't be in a relationship with. Our Lord wants, our Lord seeks, our Lord desires, our Lord dreams about how he can bless you in the context of relationships. Satan longs to curse you in the context of relationships. Our Lord wants us in a relationship. Satan wants us in a divisive relationship. So having a relationship is not the goal. Certainly avoid divisive relationships. All right, so here's, here's uh, Samson's problem. She has no respect for his calling. And frankly, he doesn't either. He's not really looking at his purpose and calling in life as serious as he should because he absolutely compromises it in his relationship with this gal. How, this is a, this is a million dollar question, maybe two. How important is the sense of calling in your life? Because if you don't have a strong sense of calling, you're not as concerned about relationships compromising that call, calling as you should be. Like, what are you called to do on this earth? Who are you called to glorify? Who is your first love? See, the problem here is Delilah became Samson's first love and replaced the one who was supposed to be his first love. Who is your first love? It does us well every now and again to answer that question. My first love is Jesus Christ. I place him in a higher plane, a higher level of importance, and my calling to glorify him with my life exceeds any and every other calling I may, may come my way. That's my first love. Not Delilah, not some guy, not some guy that asked me to do the dance. Nothing is more important than that first love. What's your calling in life? If you can't specifically say that, hang around, and in the right relationship, that will become something very important to you. My calling in my life is to, to glorify Christ by baking for the poor, whatever the case may be, whatever it is. I realize, I realize what my calling is, and I know what would jeopardize that calling and I am sensitive more to the calling and the one who called me than that which would jeopardize it. When you're sensitive to your calling, you avoid situations that could even seemingly uh, interrupt your calling at all or, or, or compromise your calling at all. My second calling is to my wife. And then I guess you guys figure in somewhere after that, my family. But here's the thing, I don't want to compromise or dilute that calling to my first love, nor my second. 
you got to know your calling. If you don't know your calling, know that you're called to glorify Christ, and anything that doesn't do that, we need to avoid in a relationship, particularly if it has something to do with money. Okay? You with me so far? Samson is playing games with his calling. So why should Delilah respect his calling if he himself does not? He has taken, well, his mother did it on his behalf. This is where moms come into your calling. A Nazarite vow. From the Hebrew word nazir, which means to separate or consecrate. No razor was to touch that man's head. And he was to be separated or consecrated to the Lord for all the days of his life. He wasn't to drink wine, go near a vineyard, walk near anything dead. Uh, There's three people that took one of these vows, or the vow was taken for them, John the Baptist, Samuel, and Samson. Others took Nazarite vows for seasons or periods of time, but these guys were in it for life. And he allowed that special, sacred, consecrated calling to be compromised for this woman who had in mind riches over his well-being and his relationship with the Lord. We have to respect our calling and other people's calling. We have to be able to define our calling whenever we can, with the help of others, with a pastor, with a teacher, with somebody. We need to define our calling so we know we're not compromising it. Second thing about bad relationships, we are not to be unequally yoked, all right? I know, I know we know what that means, many of you. I know, I know what we, we know what it means in the context of marriage. But a, but a calling has a direction, a distance, and a higher purpose. And it's, that calling is not going to be fulfilled when we're unequally yoked. Two oxen unequally yoked together will end up going in a circle. The, the one's going to pull in a circle. You'd never go anywhere unequally yoked. A Christian has no business marrying someone who's not. You're unequally yoked. You're on this wrong footing before you get started. Now, if that's already happened, okay, let's move forward with a different plan, a different agenda, but, but, but that's not something we need to enter into. I would go so far as to say that marriage is obviously for people who are equally yoked. Engagement is for people who are equally yoked. But I would go so far as to say, you can have a believer who's just a baby Christian, who's really struggling in their faith, doesn't really have, uh, re- marriage really shouldn't be the priority at that point. I think we got to get on sure footing and what it is we believe and what it is we would be compromising in this special intimate relationship with Christ, who is the bridegroom. Friendships that are unequally yoked are both needed in the world today. We need to be friends with those who are in need of Christ. But we don't need to be the nail. We need to be the hammer in the relationship. We need to be the one who's not being affected by the loss of Christ, but more influential for the cause of Christ. And I would say also vocations need to be looked at too. A vocation that places an undue amount of responsibility on somebody 
especially in a church, necessitates an awareness of the need for maturity. Now, you don't always have that luxury of choosing that way, but you don't place more upon someone in a responsibility sense than they're mature enough to handle. And that takes maturity to handle that. Unequally yoked. The whole idea that you see, this goes around high schools all the time, youth groups. You know, I'm mission dating. Oh, okay. That's good. Mission dating. Mission dating. That is not going to work out. Business. Now, I, I went back to this business partner thing. I don't know. I can't, I can't put my finger on it, but there's always something that's missing when two Christians get in business with one another and it doesn't work. There's always something missing. And I think it has something to do with, one, the communication from the start wasn't written. Habakkuk 2 and 2. Make the, make the vision plain upon ta- tablets that the messenger may run with it. The expectations between one another weren't fully clarified. The needs of one another weren't fairly clarified. They, they weren't communicated appropriately. In a real practical sense, you started off going in two different directions before you ever started. That's usually a problem. That's always a problem, frankly. If it's not on paper, it doesn't exist. Number two, that's why the Word of God's so important. Number two, I don't know how to say this politely, but evangelical Christians tend, many tend, to be overly trusting. I know somebody comes in my office, an elderly woman or something, and she saw something on television, and she goes, what do you think about this? And you can tell it's the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen in your life. You know, you're going to write a check, and then you're going to have, be blessed for the next three Wednesdays or something. Or maybe if you write a bigger check, it'll be four Wednesdays. We don't really know. We can be overly trusting. Now, here's the problem. The most trustworthy people tend to overtrust. We tend to accept too much of what we hear without discerning or testing. And when we get in these relationships that don't work out, it's because we assumed and accepted the other person to be where we thought they were, but they weren't unequally yoked. So when you, when you get into these relationships, especially, and I've seen this, well, I've seen it happen here, where one guy's sitting in this pew over here, and another guy's over here, and there's this thing that only the three of us know about, and it's not pretty, and it's very ugly, and it has to do with M-O-N-E-Y. There wasn't proper communication. There wasn't earnest evaluation. What should have happened is they should have brought in a facilitator, someone in the church that was mature and didn't have a dog in the hunt, to facilitate and help facilitate an arrangement, but now they're looking for someone to facilitate something that's already gone awry. It's sad. Now, you say, well, what's the big deal? You just get another relationship. No, no. Sometimes they, 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 they take hundreds of thousands of dollars. Communication. Equally yoked. Uh, expectations are clear. Uh, bad relationships. Usually money. Second Corinthians 6 and 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. 
For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, and what fellowship has light with darkness? Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. As I said, aluminum will not sharpen iron. So you have, you have to have a respect for one another's calling, which Delilah didn't have. You cannot be unequally yoked. You have to communicate. You can't overtrust or oversuspect either. Too much of what's being presented to the body of Christ today is just lapped up as truth without any testing. I had a guy at a Bible study one time, and he says, did you hear what, did you hear this? And I go, hear what? He goes, every illegal alien coming across the Rio Grande right now is being given $450,000 check. I said, really? It made me want to go down to the Rio Grande. I, I said, I don't know. You might want to check on that. Deception. Delilah was an author of deception. She lacked, uh, Samson lacked discernment, and, and it cost him. Deception is the basis for manipulation. Deception is effective in the context of a relationship. Sometimes we get so familiarized with someone, we fail to do our due diligence. Uh, sometimes we get so familiarized with someone, we hire them when we shouldn't. We think we have a friendship, but we really don't. We think we know each other, but we really don't. And, and, and the calling, this is, this is where it gets kind of cruddy. The calling on that business, the calling on that entity, the calling on that corporation, the calling on that LLC is one thing. But not doing our due diligence and being honest, open, and transparent with one another has compromised the calling on that business for the glory of God. We assume. Whatever happened, think about Delilah now, whatever happened to the unacceptable, destructive potency of lying? Oh, no, wait a minute. Whatever happened to lying? I, when I was a boy coming up, I heard things, there's a couple things I heard coming up as a boy that you don't hear anymore. I mean, they're just void, off the face of the earth. You say them to someone younger, they even know what you're talking about. Here's one, respect your elders. Remember that? You say that today, they're like, what are you talking about? The other was, I don't know how many, raise your hand if you want to, how many of you had your mouth washed out with soap for lying? Well, you can't, that doesn't happen today. One, <laughs> okay. <laughs> One, you could be taken to court by your child. Okay, that's a problem. Two, mommy, I just misspoke. What? I, yeah, I misspoke. I, I mischaracterized. I misspoke. See, here's, a, here's the thing. In the world, you don't really lie anymore. It started with a fib. That downgraded the whole program. And then, then we just got, the world got on this roll, and you don't lie anymore. I mean, we do lie. We lie to one another. We lie to our wife. We lie to our husband. But even when you're caught in it, you know, you deny it. It's fine. Just go, just go on with it. I misspoke, or I didn't understand. No, you lied. You know, do you lie anymore? Is there such a thing as lying anymore? Or did we just remove it from all culture? I don't know what happened to lying, but it's a potent thing. John 8 and 44 
You are the father. Listen to these words now. Just listen to these words. No other voices, no other things, no other nothing. Just this. You are the father. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I don't know what happened to lying, boy. It's not as strong as that right there. I don't know. Let's edit that. That's not in keeping with our culture. That needs to conform to our culture. I think the problem probably started somewhere in this 10 by 10 area in churches all over the world where lying became something, I don't know, seemingly not accepted as much as anticipated and uh, embraced. What are you going to do? That's just the way it is. We have familiarized ourselves with a, a moray of the world and adopted it as sort of acceptable, and let's just go on. Now, a lie from Delilah costs that man his calling, his purpose, his self-respect, his identity, his credibility. One lie. You could pick out, without much effort whatsoever, you could pick out 20 lies just by being online for 20 minutes. I'm not exaggerating. You know I'm talking the truth. Lying. People will lie to you. I have to deal with this in my own life sometimes. Unfortunately, this is a bad thing for me. I have become accustomed to recognizing a lie when I hear it immediately. And it deeply disappoints me. You ever been in a situation where you know someone's lying, but they don't know you know? It's disrespectful. It hurts. It's disappointing. You know what's worse than anger? Disappointment. Watch out for people and try to help these people who are so interested in pleasing you. They can't keep up with their own standard of pleasing you, so when they inevitably don't, they'll lie about it. Lying, lying, lying. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. Especially when you say that book in your lap is the truth and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. When we embrace lying, when we accept it, when we look another way, when we don't call someone on it, when we don't confront one another, basically silence is agreement. Write that down. Silence is agreement. People continue to lie because no one even confronts them on it anymore. I don't know why we're afraid of confronting one another, especially when it comes to a lie. The Antichrist is a liar. We have to have relationships that actually are transparent enough to at least deal with a lie. I mean, come on. If we let that slide, where are we going? We're going downhill fast. We're the people of truth. We're the people of light. We don't tell lies. We tell truth. Even when it's self-deprecating, even when it's costly, 
If I interviewed five people and only one of them actually told me the truth and they had less ability than the other four, I'd hire them. Someone who won't tell you what you want to hear but will tell you what is the truth. We interviewed recently and that's why we hired the girl, frankly. Asked her a question, she really told the truth and the truth wasn't all that favorable towards herself. But it was the truth, refreshing. Delilah did did not have a respect for his calling. He was unequally yoked. They didn't communicate exactly what needed to be done, and it destroyed them. Colossians 3 and 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. That's the old man. The old man. The old woman in you, the pre-Christ, not yet fully sanctified woman who had to lie to be acceptable, who had to lie to be beautiful, who had to lie to be, to be who she thought she needed to be. Here's one unheard of. Here's a word. I'm going to use this word. I don't use it often. It is basically the answer to uh, the antidote for our whole entire country, the whole entire world, the whole, all relationship problems. It comes down to this one word. We're good at asking for forgiveness, and we're good at doling it out. We're good at confessing our sins to one another that we may be healed. But where we fall short, and this is the one thing that stands in the way of some real serious God motion, God spirit moving on this earth, is repentance. My people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. Turned from their wicked. I'll show you maturity. You recently misled, misspoke, maybe even you flat out lied to somebody. Consider the following. If you really want, if you value the relationship, go to that person and say, hey, listen, Blame it on me if you want. I listened to this sermon recently, and it really kind of got under my skin. And I really thought about it, prayed about it, and I thought I'd actually act upon it. I lied to you the other day. And I want you to forgive me. And if you think, here's the repentance, and you, you think you see me doing that again in the future, I want you to call me on it, because that's not who I want to be. I value you too much in my life to tell you something other than the truth. Do you know how liberating that would feel? Do you, know, do you know when you know your son or daughter has lied to you, giving them the space and the opportunity to confess that and turn away from it and ask for their, your help, how liberating that would be? Lying. I think we need to move it up. The list of important things to deal with in life. It is so anti-Christ. It is as far from Christ as you can possibly get, lying. At the same time, use discernment about who you confess to and who you ask repentance of until they're ready to hear it or the destruction at this particular time would be so monumental you do more harm than good. Go to someone else and deal with that. Bad relationships, don't respect one another's calling, They often have to do with gain financially. 
that corrupts us. It's from an unequally yoked relationship. It's full of deception. And when someone does lie, we overlook it as though it was true. We call something that is not as though it is, and we act accordingly, and we become complicit in the lie. It kills our marriages, kills our churches, kills our nation. There's no real coming back from that, apart from confession. Lies. You say, well, don't put me on some religious trip. I'm not. I'm not that at all. I will say that Christianity is about relationship, not religion. You've heard that a million times. But I'll tell you the one thing that kills the relationship is a lie. The truth will set you free. Destruction. Unbelievers ruin lives oftentimes because of what I call a common denominator. When you have a group of people that hang out together, they need to hang out together in their sin for a particular reason. What is it? When, if they were apart, they would stick out as someone who has a real issue, but when they commonly sin together, there's no reason to point any one of them out. It's a group, not a person. We're influenced by one another, not an individual. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Very rarely, as a couple weeks go by, you don't hear that voice. Why? Because there is an ongoing conforming to the pattern of this world taking place in the body of Christ, and it's really difficult at times for some to, to distinguish between the, the vowed, consecrated, separated Christian from the world. I was watching this goofy show the other day with my wife, and it was, a, it was about, um, it wasn't the most cheerful show in the world, it was about a murder that had taken place in Texas. And I'm kind of fascinated by human behavior. I'm watching this, and they set the show up to say, this was a small, genteel community with uh, more churches than any other city in Texas. And uh, they showed the church signs and the sayings and the pastor's names and all this. And uh, the man who was killed was a chief of, uh, fire chief, and he was an elder at the church. And they served uh, diligently and went to Bible studies. And they had a part of their marriage that wasn't good, but they made a comeback. And, and everything was well. And they all needed each other. And the churches got together, and they prayed with one another. Oh, by the way, 20 minutes later, Betty Bible study murdered her husband. So her boyfriend didn't like him. And I'm like, did you have to do the whole lead up there? I mean, did you have to set it up like that? The world wants to see you and me as close to what it is we believe in word and in deed than anything else. And if they don't, if they don't, they will perish. 
So what's your calling in life? To walk worthy of the calling that he's given you. To press on toward the goal, to win the prize, which we've been called heavenward in Christ Jesus. To speak the truth in love, to be honest, to have integrity, to watch out for bad relationships, to be holy because he is holy. Things you don't hear anymore. Be holy. Be holy. Be holy. Be set apart. Be consecrated. Be pure. Let his purity live through you. Let his truth come through your mouth. Let him be in your heart, not abundance of your heart. We speak. We speak the truth in love. Be perfect? No, forget that. As long as I stand up here, I'll never knowingly allow the standard of how we're called to live with Christ in us so be so diluted that things that are an abomination to God become acceptable in our own little walks. Come on. That's happening throughout this land. We don't have to add to it. And you know that we won't. Without a guilt trip, my job is to provide you with the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, who comes to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. I don't think we have a problem with lying. I think we have a problem not calling the world out on it. And sometimes the answer to the reason we don't do that is because we ourselves have a similar issue. We're Christians in 2022. In a world that is falling apart daily. And you and I have a role, a voice. We have a calling. And it's to give up everything for the cause of Christ. What a calling. Let's close our service. Let's be, let's be men and women of the word. Let's get in the word if you're not. And let's find those relationships in our life that will help us to be who Christ has called us to be and will allow him to flow out of us into the lives of others. That's what we're looking for. And that was worth coming here today, I would think. Let's, let's worship and ponder these things in our heart, shall we?